Welcome to your Drive Time News Blast. 30 minutes, 45 for patrons, jam-packed with news of the day from a perspective of truth, liberty, and justice. This is Monica Perez. And I'm Brad Binkley. Today's top story is our fearless leader is prophylactically taking hydroxychloroquine without any scientific basis whatsoever. He says it is going to help him prevent getting COVID-19. So what do you think of that? I think it has more scientific basis than radimzivir, which is the one that the media is pushing and the one that Fauci pushed and the one that is okay. It's okay to talk about remdesivir. I don't know what hydroxychloroquine does. I know that wealthy actors, doctors, nurses, other people who have money and have the resources to get that are taking it. I don't know why. I guess it helps them. I know that the media has put together a coordinated effort to attack that drug for some reason. I know they did a study specifically where they gave it to people who were about to die just so that they could say that it is discredited and they can say Trump is taking discredited drug that kills people. I know that it affects people with heart conditions. And I also know that it is very cheap and it's available and the broader population could get it if it was recommended. But when you compare that to remdesivir, which they're not talking about that in the news right now, remdesivir is the one where they did the study where it showed no actual benefit. No benefit. It doesn't help the death rate yet. Fauci pushed it as promising. They're expediting the process of getting it FDA regulated and getting it in the hospitals. Yet it shows no effect and it is expensive as shit. And it will make Fauci and like four other people who are connected to the company that makes from Dizavir that is in the task force. It will make them wealthy. I actually think that there might be a little foreshadowing in the idea that Trump is taking this because my guess is that he will end up in the hospital at some point and it will be unclear why they'll say, oh, he's just in there for a regular checkup. Oh, he got sick from this thing. He is Pelosi saying he's morbidly obese. Yeah. I don't know. I just feel like this this isn't he's not going to get away with this. But I do think it's interesting whenever we talk about the anti-malarial drug that in that Rockefeller Foundation document where the lockstep scenario, there are four scenarios and the lockstep scenario has basically what's happening now to us. That's like word for word at a 2020, I think it was made. But there was one of the other three scenarios. I think it was the one called hack attack. That one had a line in there, a paragraph in there about a scandal and a lot of illness caused by a tainted batch of anti-malarial drugs that was promoted by a corrupt World Health Organization. It actually named the WHO in this scenario as being corrupt and fostering a tainted drug, anti-malarial drug. So I just, I feel like this, this, this story might have legs. That's interesting. We also announced that we might be Trump. He reinforced that he might be taking away all the funding from the World Health Organization yesterday. While, as we talked about yesterday, China is investing billions into the World Health Organization. Well, I have something to say about uh, I think that story has some legs, too. Maybe I can jump to that real yeah. quick. Is that I was reading an article today by Gerald Seib, who 
I don't like. He's in the Wall Street Journal. I just, I don't like his analysis, his messages. And the name of the article, the headline was Virus Exacerbates the Red-Blue Divide. I saw and there that, were yeah. two, yeah, there were a couple of important points, just two bigger picture things I saw there. One was that he goes into how red state, blue state, he actually refers to Massachusetts as having a Republican governor, which is just hilarious because Massachusetts, Marxachusetts, Taxachusetts <laughs> is just not a Republican place. But Marxachusetts, about- I like that. It was from a video I saw the other day of how they're like on the sidewalks they're putting down arrows now. So these... So these two governors, so he was just saying how a governor in one state obviously is going to cater to his constituents as he's supposed to, even though his decisions affect people in other states. It's your classic, like, why you can't have states' rights or autonomy or subsidiarity, which is more local government. It's straight out of report from Iron Mountain, which calls for a kind of global problem that can only be solved with a global solution. So I've seen this pattern throughout how this thing is unfolding that, yes, because of constitutionality, the feds can't or they are refraining from perhaps cramming down actual nitty gritty policies, but that they are that it will demonstrate how an uncoordinated effort is inadequate facing something like this. And then I thought that tied in to the World Health Organization thing from yesterday where Moon from South Korea said, we need to give this, the World Health Organization teeth to legally, bindingly enforce what we want to augment in health regulations. So Saib also mentions this need for kind of healthcare subsidy that people need extra money because of these health problems. So I was starting to think if they're talking about money changing hands, that would be a taxation thing related to the health overlay, government overlay. And then you've got binding force, like a police force. That is, I mean, that's all you need for government, right? For the modern state is taxation and and enforcement. It's a monopoly on the use of violence. So I see all these things coming together to upsource what I call upsource government and power. And then the other thing that I found in this article, it said the, the, the six hardest hit blue states have more than half the country's coronavirus cases and a third of its population, yet only 12% of the votes in the Senate. It is almost a perfect formula for political tensions. But I had identified this as an issue before in that a couple of months ago, I think they started talking about how it wasn't right that the Senate was not a popular based and it is kind of popular because it used to be established by the legislatures of the states. And then I think it was the 17th Amendment made it a popular vote, which really took the teeth out of it. But this would take it even further. They want it to be representative, just like Congress. So as you want to go to like a populist vote instead of an electoral college, they're taking out all the checks and balances from the representative system, which will get us further and further away from adhering strictly to fundamental law. These are all ways to keep the fundamental law, which is supposed to protect every individual from getting brought asunder by the mob. And then in another story I want to cover later in this episode is the balance of powers getting eroded. It will... It will take the if you the fundamental laws of this country and these balances that you put in that don't just allow for mob rule, 
the more you go towards mob rule, the less you can protect these fundamentals. The fundamentals are there to protect individual rights in the face of mob rule or government overreach. So as they get further and further away from this, they can just do what they're doing with with these payments. So Pelosi is giving everybody these checks. I just read yesterday, Congress is at like a new high of approval, 31%. So I immediately did the math and said, how many people are getting checks? 33%. Yeah. So that's what happens. You can just buy them off. And then the 49% become the slaves of the 51%, which is basically where we are. But as they pull out all of these pegs, the dam will break. Yeah, there was an article from The Intercept that I saw that was about how the federal government is buying riot gear, increasing security funding, and citing the coronavirus pandemic as why. Says the federal government has ramped up security and police-related spending in response to the coronavirus pandemic, including issuing contracts for riot gear. This comes from Disclosures. Who is this? This is out of The Intercept. But, I mean, who is doing riot gear? The federal government. They're increasing their spending in riot gear in... For feds? It says a purchase order includes request of disposable cuffs, gas mask, ballistic helmets, riot gloves, along with law enforcement protective equipment for federal police assigned to protect the Veterans Affair facilities. And the orders were expedited under a special authorization in response to the coronavirus outbreak. So that speaks to the the mob thing to me is is if they're anticipating these mass protests to continue and anticipating how to confront the mob, who knows what's going to be coming down. Yeah, who knows? I mean, it's uh, oh, maybe that's why Washington has that facial recognition law that came down. They actually was it was written by a state senator who works, who actually is employed as a project manager for Microsoft right now. And that people are I told you yesterday, I would give you a little update on this. Yeah, it it doesn't actually curb the they, they're promoting it as curbing the use of facial recognition. It doesn't at all. It just adds some transparency and accountability to it. But that isn't going to stop anybody. The ACLU says it legitimizes the infrastructural expansion of powerful face surveillance technology. And it says if you're if they're going to do real time surveillance, they either need a warrant or have exigent circumstances so they can't follow you around and look at you in real time. But here's the problem. There's a concept in law, which I'm sure you're familiar with. This is the fruit of the poisonous tree. So if you get, if you do something wrong and you get this whole trove of information, you can't use that trove of information because you were not supposed to do something wrong. Well, they kind of get around that these days with this thing called parallel construction, where they can they can mine all these repositories of unwarranted surveillance tapes and everything to see if there's any clue to a crime they now suspect you of. So it is the exact same thing as the fruit of the poisonous tree. And it seems to me that that's what they're saying they can do, that they can. And they've been saying they could do it for a long time where they can. They don't have to have the warrant to collect all your data because they're not really looking at it until they have a warrant. But it's just a twisted concept. It means that you absolutely never have any privacy from the moment they have probable cause of any kind of crime. And there are so many crimes that it's hard to imagine that they couldn't get you on probable cause for something. I mean, and look at with Cohen, they had they took four million documents out of his office for some much narrower idea. So a much narrower accusation. Yeah. So they they can just ca- cast a very broad net. These things are, I mean, obviously, this ship has sailed. Yeah, 
I saw an article yesterday about how loud talking, this was also out of MIT, how loud talking can leave the coronavirus in the air for up to 14 minutes, which is weird to me that talking loud can make it stay in the air longer than talking quietly, but that made me think of that article you just brought up, because the only non-monitorable communication you could have really is with somebody that you have been sheltered in place with or from six feet apart, so you have to shout, but now you're discouraged from even shouting because you could leave it in the air for 14 minutes. That's not even believable. I know. It's crazy. This is from MIT putting this out. Ridiculous. The uh, speaking of which, this uh, Al Qaeda, this Pensacola shooter, was an Al Qaeda, supposedly affiliated with Al Qaeda. They finally broke into his phone, even though Apple didn't really help them. And they apparently they had probable cause because in the middle of his shooting spree where he was killing people, he stopped to shoot his phone. So they had probable cause on the phone. They got two phones. They went back five years. They did a raid in Yemen already based on the information. And Apple is saying, like, we don't need laws, but Barr is calling on Congress to bring down laws that won't allow encryption. And I imagine what will happen is what even Edward Snowden warned about. They'll open the back door. Bad things will happen. And Apple and Facebook also is objecting to this. will have cover for when the unintended, which I always think are the real, the unintended consequences are usually the real purpose of it. So who knows what is going to come of this, but clearly they're moving towards some legislation. And I think the legislation that was already proposed is similar to this facial recognition thing. It's proposed under the guise of protecting you. But in reality, it's there just to institutionalize the overreach. Yeah, and they could very well be rolling out technology, which they've been working on, that sees through people's masks. Dude. Oh, yeah. I think the facial recognition stuff goes through that. It's because it's heat based. Like thermal heat based. Yeah. Yeah. But speaking of rolling out technology, remember last week, and I'm still having a little bit of problems with it. I was saying how I had internet problems. I had to like go to other places. It took me like five hours to try to figure out. Me too. And they and then it was out completely over the weekend. They were out front digging up or whatever, doing a lot of work on the street. And then you said, what, like the next day you had the exact same problem? With Comcast specifically, I was at my friend's and it just went out. And then I looked up the Comcast down meter thing and it apparently had been out all over the country. And then I heard some people talking about how Joe Biden was having problems with it. And they were using Comcast during his virtual town hall. This was a problem going on around the country. I don't know. I mean, they're testing the infrastructure, I mean, definitely. The idea that it it's from being overloaded doesn't... The only thing that's happening this week in my house anyway that is unusual is that my kids are taking finals. So it could be that the yeah. schools are all doing uploads. Upload takes, I think, is a little more stressful on the yeah. system. So two-way, down and up at the same time, all over. But I really don't have a sense of the magnitude of that. But if that was the thing that would kick it over to being over capacity, otherwise, I don't know what would make it worse this week than it was two months ago when this all first started, which on the first day I said, hey, get ready for your internet to get all this, squanchy. Yeah, the- they said at the beginning of this, after the first couple of weeks, that internet usage worldwide was up like 50% overall. I'm sure it's increased because of that. And I saw an article yesterday about the other UBI, Universal Basic Internet, how that's going to solve all of our problems because we got to get those people we in rural areas connected. Too. 
Yeah. We talked about that a year ago. I was like, hey, remember that guy said he was he wants food, water, and internet? Food, water, what? and internet. Yeah, this is the Borg. We are getting fully connected in right now to the Borg worldwide. Absolutely. Speaking of that, there was an article out of it's one of the tech websites. Our weird behavior during the pandemic is messing with our AI models. Machine learning models trained on normal behavior are showing cracks, forcing humans to step in and to straighten them out. And the interesting thing in this article to me was about how well these models work in times of normal behavior. So before this, they could just predict everything that we did. Everything we thought, everything we searched, but now because we're acting differently because we've been shut in for a couple of months, the crisis behavior, the machine learning has been struggling to catch up. It's been giving bad predictions of human behavior. So I see this as a test and a retraining for the AI to predict human behavior in crisis situations. This is Westworld. I've said this before, but this is Westworld. The prediction of human behavior through AI technology now being trained for crisis situations. It is interesting because what they could be doing is, I mean, obviously this is what you're saying, but they're refining it to get to the edges, to get to the more variable behavior. So I remember distinctly that Jigsaw, which is an, a Google sub thing run by a guy who could not be more deep state, like basically started working for the CIA when he was a teenager. I think that might actually be true. And uh, that they were focusing on detecting sarcasm in comments. I've talked about this many times because it just really struck me as weird. So it's that it's that marginal, confusing, nuanced behavior that probably varies more from person to person than mainstream, normal circumstance behavior would that can really help them get past that uncanny valley. Yeah. The idea that you can never predict all human, all unpredictable behavior, they're attempting to. They want to be able to predict even the most extreme of behaviors. Oh, so are you saying, I was thinking they were trying to train it to mimic behavior. Is that what you mean? Are you saying two, are we saying two separate things? I'm saying they're training it to predict the decisions we're going to make and the actions we're going to take. Oh, okay. See, I feel like they use those predictions to make AI better. I think they do both of those. And they also talk in the article about how our behavior affects the behavior of the AI, and the AI, in turn, affects the behavior of the people. So it has that cyclical... Well, of course, that is the entire point, isn't it? Yeah. That's the whole point of Google having the birds of a feather thing that's populated by AI, is to and not make you better. It's probably to enhance dysfunctional subcultures, as we've seen has been a goal of our government and is in working, the memetic slideshow. Yeah, working effectively. Speaking of birds and feathers... Let's take a quick moment from our sponsor. What's up, guys? With everything going on in the world right now, it couldn't be a better time to grow your own food. Or if you're like me, to learn how to grow your own food. Something that I've wanted to learn how to do for a long, long time because I want to learn how to live a more sustainable lifestyle. That's why I'm thrilled to have found Neighbors Feed and Seed in Smyrna, Georgia, one of the most welcoming, friendly, and truly helpful places that I have ever been to in my life. They offer affordable, high-quality garden supplies, vegetable plants, bird feeds, chicken feeds, premium pet food, just about anything you can think of, and they got it. And they got it at affordable prices that the big box stores cannot compete with. 
And the best part about it is that they're locally owned by a fantastic group of folks who are happy to answer any growing or planting questions that you may have. It's the kind of personalized customer service that a beginner like me needs. I'm going to be honest with you. I love Neighbors Feed and Seed. I would hang out there all the time if I could. They would have to kick me out, which they wouldn't do because they're too welcoming and friendly to do it. It's that kind of place, and you can feel it as soon as you walk through the door. So if you are in the Smyrna area, go to Neighbors Feed and Seed. I promise you, you will thank me later. Maybe I'll see you there. In the meantime... You can check out their website at NeighborsFeedAndSeed.com. That's NeighborsFeedAndSeed.com. Or if you have any questions, give them a call at 678-653-8838. That's 678-653-8838. And make sure you tell them that the Propaganda Report sent you. Okay, can I read to you a quick quote from something I mentioned yesterday? Alan Dershowitz talking about vaccines. Is that? Do we have sure. time for that? Mm-hmm. All right, Dershowitz yesterday said, let me put it clearly, you have no constitutional right to endanger the public and spread the disease, even if you disagree. You have no right not to be vaccinated. You have no right not to wear a mask. You have no right to open up your business. And then the interviewer interjected and said, you have to be vaccinated? If the government says that, you just have to be? Dershowitz says, absolutely. And if you refuse to be vaccinated, the state has the power to literally take you to a doctor's office and plunge a needle into your arm. And he cites the Constitution as justification. Supreme Court case from 1905, like we mentioned. They have been promoting Dershowitz on Fox for years now. And my mom like likes him. I'm like, really? Because we never liked him before. How do we like him? Well, we just, I think he was Sonny Von Bueller's. So Sonny Von Bueller was a woman who her husband was on charges for giving her an insulin overdose. She was rich and Klaus Von Bueller. Anyway, I believe Dershowitz was the attorney who got Von Bueller off. And we were, my mother is riveted by this trial. So we've known about Dershowitz for a long time, but we always just thought of him as like some Harvard liberal. And then all of a sudden, a couple of years ago, he's like transformed to a Fox guy. And my mother is like, he's all right. He's all right. So now I guess they get to get a lot of good, a lot of trust they've built up and and he can try to bring the right over. Yeah, he's pushing it hard. And you're absolutely right. He's been building credibility on the right for the past couple of years by defending Trump. Yes, but it's. For me, that's the thing that I just I'm I'm baffled, really, because or surprised and disappointed that I I've had long relationships with conservatives. I was on the radio for all those years that Obama was in office and every conversation I had was about sticking to the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, all that kind of stuff. I'm not a racist. This guy is just bad for the Constitution. And I was like, yeah, obviously. And then Trump comes along and I'm having trying to have the same conversation. And everyone's like, oh, what do you expect? He can't be perfect. So I'm like, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? So I'm kind of disappointed in all that. And, and, you, and you just can't, there's no, there's just no hope for, for, that's why the two-party system is so insidious, is that, and it, it goes right back to Albert J. Nock and Our Enemy the State, where he said in 1930-something, whichever party wants, it will benefit from adhering to the Constitution is the one that's going to thump it. But that same party, those same exact people will throw it out the window when 
if their policies aren't don't jibe with it. Yeah, the capacity for compartmentalization or the logic proof compartments, as Edward Bernays puts it, is unbelievable that we can accept things on one side and then throw our hands up in outrage when the same thing happens on the other. All right. I'm not sure. I think there's a little more to it than that. I think there's more to both of the things that we're saying than I don't think those are exactly identical. I think that compart that what we had a good example of that recently. The logic proof compartments. I think it's more like, for me, it resonates more with, with the science thing where people are saying, maybe it's, maybe it's exactly parallel, that the left is like thumping science, even though that Bible doesn't say this stuff in it, but they'll still thump it because they're told to thump it. Yeah. And then the right or whatever, the other side will do that same thing with the Constitution, the Bible. Like, I guess it is, I guess it is all the same, but yeah. I think I'm speaking more along the lines of both sides are completely comfortable in hypocrisy because you become blind to the hypocrisy when you are blindly following one side or the other instead of the facts and truth. What it stems from is, is the fear of the other side winning and that you've been trained so long. Like that's why the lesser of two evils and the wedge issue thing, abortion, gun rights, whatever are so critical because the last argument anyone will ever, ever, ever give you is what about the Supreme court? And that's about gun. (laughs) They really, it's all they care about. And then they give you someone like Kavanaugh on the Supreme court. They don't even give you who, who, it's just that it's still just R and D. It's yeah. still just, and it's always about, and that's when I realized that it was such crap is that I, I li- visualize no one is ever looking over their own shoulder to see the people they're hanging out with, which is all the people they're looking at see. So you're a Republicans looking at a Democrat and all the Democrats are behind the Democrat and all the Republicans are behind the Republican. But you, as you're a Republican, are out in the front and you're facing that Democrat and all the Democrats behind him. But you're not looking over your shoulder to see all the idiot rhinos and stuff that are behind you. So, but that's all the Democrat is seeing. It's really a blindness. And I, I feel like that's the best way to visualize what's happening. It's just, you look at them and you see they're a bunch of idiots and you just assume that they can't be as much a bunch of idiots behind you as that crowd is. And, yeah. and if you just look over your shoulder in all honesty, you'll realize, because do you really think that 60 million Americans, whichever they are, Democrats or Republicans, are just evil? They're just wrong and evil. Stupid. Yeah. Just so stupid and so evil. It's like, no, they are just believing the package of somebody else, which is probably equal parts right and wrong, just like yours is. Yeah, and with Kavanaugh and every issue. When it comes to parties, not ideology. I'm yeah, about they parties. get people fighting over something else. Yes, exactly. Not the issue. They were fighting. They were not just something else, but they were fighting being attacked by that other gang. Yeah. So it's just tapped into that gang mentality without any substance whatsoever. But and behind all of them is one person, diverging. one puppet master, I guess, pulling all of them. At well, the top, they're certainly the puppet the masters. I, yeah, I don't buy into the two party system at all, but I'm just trying to get to get at why so many people still do and how irrational it looks to us. But it's because they think that the bad on their side is smaller than the good on their side and that the bad on the other side is 
is bigger than the good on the other yes. side. And yes. that's really what comes down to. And and I'm saying if you actually parse it out, they're all working for the same thing. They're just telling you the lies. Maybe sometimes it's more bad or good on your side. Your ideology may remain the same. Your ideology may be pure and good. But you're aligning yourselves or aligning yourselves with people who have nothing to do with that. They're serving a different purpose and their job is entirely to exploit psychology and sociology to get you to consent or even advocate for what they want at the very, very top. Yep. And their AI is training to learn our crisis psychology, our crisis mass psychology right now. Yeah. And then they can in turn influence us online in in a very low budget kind of way, very efficient, lots of flags. It's It's getting a little kooky. By the way, I noticed this is something I thought Corbett would like. James Corbett was did a whole... I don't know if it was a whole show, but we mentioned it yesterday where they talked about that the this bill, the CARES Act, had, I think, federal digi, I call them digi dollars, but like digital currency from the Fed was originally in it. And James Evan Plata was saying, like, that's obviously been on the books for a really, really long time. They just tried to, you know, messaging bill it out there and then pulled it back. And it'll be back, of course, obviously. So what... James Corbett had said was that they would, you wouldn't get your UBI, you wouldn't get your check as quickly or glitchlessly or even at all if you didn't allow the DigiDollar transfer, if you didn't take it in Bitcoin or whatever, Fed, Fed coin. And then, and I had noticed, so, so I just saw today a big article that said that the UBI could be distributed in debit cards, that they'll just send you a debit card. Of course, they can replenish that without any, without any interaction really with you. And I also want to highlight, I forget who sent it to me, Angelo, maybe. Ugh. Hate to get that wrong, but somebody sent me this IMF, International Monetary Fund, blog that really shocked me, shocked me, that explained how once you have digi dollars, you can phase out or put an exchange rate up for cash and then you could have negative interest rates. So there is no money that doesn't flow through a Fed account. So they can just change the value of it from there to negative. And then, so I predict that we will get rid of cash. They will probably try to get rid of it because of the germs. They're kind of gotten rid of it already in Sweden, which was not a place that was open to it. And that we will step-by-step move to where cash is no longer an option. That's why physical gold, so the price of gold isn't going crazy, but physical gold is getting scarce. To that point, they've been rolling out these touchless experiences for retail. Touchless eating, touchless shopping, touchless, all things physical yet touchless. And this could play into the digi dollar as well as chips in people because when you have that nasty credit card, nobody wants to touch your credit card. I told you about my Chick fil A experience where I had to dump it in the cup mm-hmm. and then they like threw it back at me because nobody <laughs> wants to touch it. People will willingly get chipped for this. And then the whole experience is touchless. It's all digital. You will, people will comply with stuff that's very convenient and what you have to do sometimes to get them to find it convenient is that you have to make it very inconvenient not to take it from a smoker i smoked for a lot of freaking years and i did not care what anybody thought about it at all i had my own scene working i liked bars bars liked me 
And then they started shutting down the bars. They started shutting down the, the sidewalks. I used to say hypothermia was a, the latest smoking-related illness because in New York, if you smoked, you had to be out on the street. So things were things got really just too hard to handle. And as much as I wanted to to stick by my principles and smoke a pack of Marlboro Reds for the rest of my life, I, I had to give it up. I'm just I did like giving it up. That's for I think- sure. The the easy way to quit smoking by Alan Carr, best book I ever read. Interesting. I think the easy way for me to relate to that is I used to want to keep my old iPhones and use them because I thought they were better, but they obsoleted the technology. And Absolutely. If I want to stick with it, I got to upgrade. You guys can find your Drive Time News Blast every weekday afternoon at thepropreport.com or your favorite podcasting platform with the Propaganda Report podcast feed. If you want access to that extra content that we drop every day that we drop a Drive Time News Blast, go to patreon.com slash report, and we will talk to you in the Patreon 15.